hope. Look at someone next to you and say, there is hope. And uh, if you're looking for my scripture inspiration, I'm going to be taking it from Mark 16, 1 through 7 uh, this morning. Mark chapter 16, 1 through 7. I'm going to save reading that scripture text until a little bit later. Um, But before we dive into the word of God, uh, I wanted to tell you last night we had uh, prayer, church-wide prayer. If you're able to make it, say amen, amen. And uh, it was a great, great time of prayer. And we've been in the middle of our series uh, in life groups on prayer. And following this life group, which concludes the end of this month, starting in August, we're going to be moving prayer to weekly. So far, it's been monthly, and uh, I'm really excited for this. We're going to start opening up church every Monday night from 6 to 8 p.m. for prayer. Now, that does not mean you have to be here 6 to 8 p.m. to pray. That just means for some people, it's more convenient for them to come from 6 to 7, and for others from 7 to 8. And we're just wanting to make it more convenient. But this weekly opportunity of prayer, I know we'll not always be able to make it every week. I won't always be able to make it every week. But let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer changes the atmosphere and it affects people. Uh, If you look in the Old Testament, every time that one of the patriarchs built an altar, what followed building the altar? There were blessings. There was a move of God. Elijah built an altar, and it was after the altar was built that fire fell from heaven. So if we're going to be a church that has the fire, we're going to be a church that has an altar. And so that's why prayer is so important. That's why we have prayer before service, 30 minutes before service. That's why we have prayer, had prayer once a month, and now will be once a week. Uh, We are to be a people of prayer. The Bible calls Christians, calls us to all be people of prayer. So make that, uh, make that a point of trying to be part of prayer whenever we pray. Uh, it will change our life. It will change our church. It will change our families. It will change our city. Prayer is the only thing. Prayer is the only thing that you're going to take with you beside your soul into eternity. It's the only thing. Uh, so prayer is, is vitally important. Amen. Um, there is hope. There is hope. Has anyone ever seen hopeless people? You think about some of those uh, award-winning photos of maybe people that are, are find themselves are starving. You know, occasionally a picture of a child, small child that's emaciated, starving, will win some photojournalistic prize for putting on display the suffering of humanity. And you can see almost in the eyes sometimes a downcast look, a hopelessness. Think about people that are fleeing war-torn parts of the world and they find themselves in a refugee camp. There's almost this air of hopelessness that surrounds the place. And hopelessness is this thing that If you have no hope and you abandon hope, then you abandon any answer. You abandon any opportunity for escape. And Satan, Satan is not the great trickster that tries to come along and trick you into sinning. 
Now, sin, we've perfected that all on our own in humanity. We didn't need Satan to come and trick us. We just know how to sin because we're born sinners. But Satan, what he has perfected is he has perfected the ability to lie. He has become the huckster of hopelessness. In other words, whenever you sin, he comes to you and he says, well, there's no hope now that you should abandon any hope that God would have anything to do with you. And he tries over and over to sow into your life the seed of hopelessness. And a hopeless people are a helpless people. And that's what he wants. He wants you to embrace hopelessness in your life, that there is no hope for you now. He wants you to abandon any hope. There's an inscription over a huge and hideous iron gate at the prison uh, de la Roquette in France, Paris, France. This particular prison is set apart for criminals who are condemned to death, and it reads on that inscription, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Many people live out that inscription in their life. People without hope, they're like farmers who sow, but they never reap. They're like merchants who never sell a dollar's worth of goods. They're like a doctor who never cures a single patient. They are hopeless and they are helpless. And Satan wants us to picture ourselves as being beyond God's reach and beyond God's help, beyond his concern or his interest. How could God care about me? That's what he wants you thinking. The way that I've treated God, how could he care about me? The way that I've talked about God, how could he care about me? The way that I've used his name, how could he care about me? All part of Satan's plan to thwart the purpose of God in our lives. In contrast to Satan's measure of hopelessness, there is on the other side God's incredible expanse of hope. And the Bible's greatest illustration of transformed hopelessness is found in one of the New Testament's greatest heroes, a man named Simon Peter. Peter preached the first gospel message of the New Testament. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when hearers heard and they asked, what do we need to do? He offered those hearers a remedy for their failure in Acts chapter 38. He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter was the first one to to bring the message of hope of what it is in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter was a hero of the faith, and I think we can rightly say that he was a hero. Peter was a prominent figure in Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 11. He wrote two letters to the church that deal with patience in suffering. If you're ever going through something and you want to know how to deal with it, then you read the letters that Peter wrote. Peter knew what it was to suffer. Peter knew what it was to live under the heavy burden of being persecuted. Peter is a hero of the faith. 
Peter, we know, was crucified in Rome, but before his crucifixion, he was cruelly forced to watch as his wife was put to death in front of his eyes. And dying painfully there as he watched, it was when it came his turn, he said, I can't be crucified the way that my master was crucified. And he asked instead to be crucified upside down, declaring himself unworthy of dying the same way as Jesus Christ. Simon Peter has to be classified as a hero of the faith. We would ask the question, well, what does that have to do with me? Because I'm no hero. I'm far from any of the things you've said about Peter. Peter was on the inner circle of the disciples. And I maybe have struggled to serve the master. Peter was a preacher, and it could be argued that I'm not even really a good church member. What does Peter have to do with me? Peter has everything to do with you. Look at the Bible. It is the evening of the Passover supper in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus has just taken time and washed his disciples' feet. And he spent time giving them final instructions concerning the future and what was going to happen. That he would be crucified and that there would be hope after. And they're leaving Jerusalem on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew 26, 30 through 35 gives us this picture of conversation. They had sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Notice all of the disciples' self-confidence in that moment. If we have to die, we will not deny you. We will not be scattered. We'll not leave your side. We'll be right there with you, even if we have to die. And Simon Peter is leading this group and he is talking on a serious level of commitment. Even if I have to die with you, even if I have to go down with the master, I'm willing to do it. I'm that committed. I am sold out to this purpose. I'm staying with you, Jesus. But we know that it didn't happen that way. Luke 22, 56 through 62 tells us a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him. But he, Peter, denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. 
Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the picture of the denial. And I asked the question, why did Peter fail so miserably? Why did Peter fail so miserably? He was so confident. He was so assured. Even if I have to die, I'm going to be with you. I am committed to this cause. But he denied him. I don't know if you've noticed some of the videos and memes that go around (coughs) DIY projects. Occasionally one will pop up in social media or someone will text it to me in a picture and it has the picture of some ornate cake on one side. Beautiful masterpiece. And someone's attempt on the other side. And underneath it says... Nailed it. And it's really an attempt. They've even come out with a whole show. And I, th- I can't remember where it's on. Some streaming channel. Either Hulu or, or uh, what's the other one? Netflix. It says, it's all about nailed it. They try and recreate these masterpieces. And they fail miserably, of course, because they don't have the skill and the talent that the original craftsman had. We get a kick out of those, but whenever it comes to heavier matters, particularly this scripture, this is Peter's nailed it moment because he didn't nail anything. He didn't even come close. He failed miserably. And I believe his mistakes were made in something that our society holds in very high regard. Because Peter, with self-confidence and self-reliance and self-assurance, he said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. He was saying, whatever comes, I can handle it. But the problem is, he can't handle it on his own. And his self-confidence is not enough. His self-assurance and self-reliance will never carry him to the end. Some things you cannot make it through by yourself. You just can't do it. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't know. I don't care how much emotional intelligence you have or how much emotional strength you have. There are some things that you cannot make it through by yourself. You just cannot do it. And we were never intended to go through some things on our own. But Peter stood up and said, I'm willing to do it. I can do this. I know I can handle this. And so all the disciples followed close by and said, Yes, Lord, even if we have to die, we'll stand with you. But his self-assurance and his self 
commitment, self-confidence only lasted so long because eventually Peter's comfort became important. Peter's comfort became important. Cold night, the Lord's been crucified and he finds a fire to warm himself by. And he warmed his hands at the fire of the enemies of the Lord, the people that had crucified the Lord. That's the company he slipped into and put his hands to the fire. His seeking personal comfort led to the final thing. And the final thing was this, when personal comfort becomes important, we often don't know how important comfort is to us, but we find out in these moments of pressure But in that moment when personal comfort becomes important, we get tuned in to what others think. We start paying attention to what the others in the group are saying and what they care about and what they think about. And when what others think becomes important, that's when pride steps into our life. And before Peter knows what is happening, he's denying the Lord three times just as the Lord has prophesied. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I can relate to that, Peter. What Peter had committed himself to, he now denies. The thing that he was so sure of, that he was so committed to, that he was willing to die for, now he disowns. He says, I did not know him. I was not with him. I don't know what you're talking about. He disowns the Lord, not one time, but three times in the space of just a little time. I feel like if you're like me, you know what it is to be a failure. Maybe it's failure in marriage. Maybe it's failure in parenting. You feel that you failed in your parenting. Maybe it's in business. You look back at business decisions (coughs) and you you see failure. Maybe it's your walk with the Lord. You look back over your walk and your journey with the Lord and All throughout your time, what you see in Christianity and your Christianity is failure, missteps, fallings, failings. So we can relate to Simon Peter. We can relate to the true Peter, not just the one we build up as a hero, but the one that really served the Lord. But the story, thank God, does not end right there. Luke 22, 60 through 20, or 60 through 62, again, Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. The reference to the Lord turning and looking at Peter means to indicate not just that he looked at Peter as if I'm looking at Ben this morning, but instead it means that he looked into Peter. He looked through him. He saw what Peter was made of. He saw what Peter, what was inside of Peter. He looked through and into Peter to see what was there. And Peter, upon that look and the crow of the rooster, was reminded exactly what the Lord had said, that he would fail him and that he would deny him three times. 
prophecy was fulfilled. What Jesus said would come to pass came to pass. Peter knew it. And you don't have to look very far to see that prophecy is being fulfilled. Look in the Middle East, prophecy being fulfilled. Grab one of the magazines in the back, take it home with you. It's about end time uh, prophecy. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Everything that Jesus said would come to pass has come to pass and will continue to come to pass. And so Peter in this moment of prophecy being fulfilled, being fully aware that he has denied the Lord three times, fully aware of his failings, Peter is brought to a crisis moment in his life. Does he continue? (coughs) Does he continue downward? He's lied. He's cursed. Prove he's not one of the Lord's. Does he continue in his failure? Or is there another way? Because in the face of failure, not long ago, Judas committed suicide. What would Peter do? Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept Bitterly. You know what weeping bitterly is? It's that sobbing cry that can't be stopped, can't be controlled. Those of us who are parents, we know a child whenever they weep bitterly. You get that heaving cry going. And, and as a parent, you're just like, calm down. Want some candy? And that's not helping. They're just weeping. It's a picture of repentance. Peter is repentant of his failure, and his failure would not be the last chapter in his life. And so he wept bitterly in repentance. (coughs) But Peter, in spite of his failure, in spite of what he had done, Scripture tells us that he joined himself to the rest of the apostles and believers. And here's the thing to understand. Peter was not the only failure in the group. They'd all made the commitment that they would be there. They all made the commitment that they would die and stand with the Lord. But they'd all fled. Matthew, James, John, Thomas, Thaddeus, and all the others Here they are now in a company, a company of failures. They'd all failed at the crucifixion of Christ. And they'd all, in some way, some form, some fashion, fled from the scene and denied Him. It was a company of failures that Peter finds himself in. You know what that tells me? It tells me that I need the church. I need the church. Not a church of perfect people. Not a church of people who play and act like they have it all put together. But I need a church of people who are failures, who are mixed up, who are messed up humanity. A company of failures that we can walk together and overcome together through the blood of the Lamb. That's what I need around me. You need the church in your life. And anyone who ever tells you any differently trying to mislead you. You need a church. 
Mark 16, 1 through 7 gives us Peter's return. He says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a, in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples. Go tell his disciples. The band of failures. The band of people that said they were going to be with him, but they ran away. You go tell those disciples. And Peter, the one who stood up and led them to that foolish commitment. The one who denied me. Three times. You go tell Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. He's going to be there waiting on you when you arrive. And there you will see him as he said to you. Notice Peter gets a specific invitation. Don't leave out the denier. Tell the disciples and be sure Peter gets the message. Make sure he knows, I want him there. I want to see him in Galilee. I want to see the one that led everyone into this foolish commitment that thought he could rely on himself and do it on his own. I want you to let Peter know, I'm going to be in Galilee waiting on him. I want to see him. You may have failed. But your failure does not define who you are to the Lord. Your failure does not define what he will do with you. You may have failed, but the Lord is calling for you. He has a purpose in your life. You may feel hopeless. Satan having lied to you that you can never recover from that failure. But the Lord's purpose and plan for your life is bigger than your failure and it's bigger than the lie that Satan would give you that it is hopeless from this moment forward. God's plan is much bigger. There is still hope. And just like Peter, this great warrior, this hero of faith, this great man that would preach the great message of what to do to be saved, this great man that would be involved in so many miracles throughout the New Testament, this great man that would write letters to encourage us all, this man failed. But he did not stay in his failure. Instead, he wept Bitterly, he turned to the Lord and he allowed the Lord to be the one to call him and say, Peter, I know you denied me three times. You did exactly what I told you you were going to do. Imagine that conversation. You did exactly what I told you. I often think about some of the conversations that probably went on between the disciples and Jesus that weren't covered in Scripture. 
He walked with them for 40 days. There's more that happened than just what we see. And picture the difference of Peter from 40 days prior to that 50th day at the day of Pentecost who stood up and said, let me tell you what this is. People saying, oh, these people are all drunk. Peter, if he'd have been the same Peter as 50 days prior, he'd have been like, yeah, they could be. Step over here and get part of this crowd. They could be. Look at them. They're acting foolish. He wasn't the same Peter. Because he turned to the Lord. Because his failure was not going to define him. The Lord was going to define him. If you'll stand with me. We all go through seasons and times where we feel like failures. We feel like we're hopeless. We feel like we're battling the same thing over and over and over and over. We get frustrated. We feel hopeless. And the accuser of our soul is standing there and saying, look, still in the same spot same hamster wheel of sin you've been dealing with same thing you've been trying to overcome or he looks at you and says oh you remember that that's how your mom was that's how your dad was you're not you're not getting free from anything you're not changing anything and he sows the seed of hopelessness into our life and into our heart tries to put it into our mind. And the whole time the Lord is looking and He's saying, don't buy that. Don't let that grow in your life. Don't take in that seed of hopelessness and because there's always hope. There's always hope. Doesn't matter if you're like Peter, denier, betrayer, fled from the face of the Lord at the crucifixion, ran from him in his most desperate time, couldn't stand with the Lord, and then cursed to even prove that he was not one of those horrible Galileans that had been walking with the Lord. What if instead of putting Peter's name in that scripture, Mark chapter 16, what if instead the angel had put your name in that place? You be sure and you let Joel know, I want to see him. You be sure and you let Daryl know, He's not failed too far for me. I want to see him. You be sure and you let Ben know that I'm expecting him to meet me there. You be sure. I want to be sure that this person knows that they're expected.
That's the way the Lord is looking at you right now. He's saying, yeah, you failed. No denying that. Maybe, maybe you're not as bad as people, Peter, people, Peter, where you failed him three times right in a row, but you failed him. But he's saying, that denier, that failure, I don't care. You, you be sure and let them know. And he says, I've got a whole company of failures that I want them all to come meet me. Aren't you glad you're part of the company of failures? Praise God. Let's worship the Lord together for just a moment. God, you see every person here right now. God, you see the spirit that they're struggling with, the thing that they've been fighting against in their heart in their darkest moment when no one else is around. God, the thing they've been pleading over in prayer. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that your spirit that was here to work miracles before, Lord, that you would reach down into our hearts, that you bring us some faith and some hope in a hopeless world and a hopeless generation with an enemy that has a hopeless message. God, I pray that you'd give us hope in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I feel like the Lord wants to speak and minister to someone here today. My wife's going to begin to sing. I want to open this altar. I want to invite the entire church to come and join together. And even if you're, if you're not coming and saying, Lord, I need hope in my life, if you're coming, why don't you praise God for the hope that he's given you? But someone needs to touch the Lord today and needs to know God has not turned on you. He's not rejected you. He's not forgotten you. He's never abandoned you. But he is calling for you. You be sure and you let them know I'm waiting on them. I'm looking for them. I'm going to meet them. In Jesus' name.